I can relate to that snow monkey. Well, I haven't jumped in hot springs looking for soybeans. I do have a confession to make. I am terrified of public speaking. Not just a little uncomfortable, but dizzy, nausea-inducing terror. So of course, it makes sense that I pursued ministry. <laughs> Community ministry, mind you, but still ministry, where it's pretty much guaranteed that I speak in front of groups of people. So when Michael asked me to preach today, I said, sure, I would love to, and then went home and realized that it was the Sunday after the election, as well as Veterans Day, and then a storm named Sandy came to town. About an hour after I agreed to speak, as usual, the panic set in, and as anyone near and dear to me can attest, I turn into a nervous wreck. When I took a step back, as well as a very deep breath, and thought about it, I saw a theme. I saw that courage was the thread that bound these events together. My grandfather was a big John Wayne fan. And John Wayne said that courage is being scared to death and saddling up anyways. And I love that image because it reminds me of my grandfather, a wonderful, wonderful man who was a true Idaho cowboy. And it helps me face my fear every time I stand in front of a group. In spite of my fear, I do it anyway because it's so important to me. And once I begin, I'm fine. I also feel that voting is an act of courage. I voted on Tuesday in honor of the women who dedicated their lives to the suffrage movement, including some Unitarians, like Susan B. Anthony and Olympia Brown, who acted on the courage of their convictions so I have the freedom to walk into a polling station and not think twice about it. I was so proud to be able to vote for my husband Ron Sala, who ran for Connecticut State Senate on the Green Party ticket, because he had the courage of his convictions to stand up for what he believed in. And he even received 2% of the vote. <laughs> we watched as people in Maine, Maryland, Minnesota, and Washington stood up for what they believed in, getting us a little closer to marriage equality for all. We watched politicians who disrespected the rights of women be voted out of office, and 11 female senators be voted in, bringing the number of women in the Senate to 20, the most ever in US history. This Veterans Day, as I think of the veterans who have fought and died for our freedom, as well as service members still in active duty, I'm humbled by their sacrifice and courage. I love reading and listening to the This I Believe program on NPR. I don't know if anyone else reads that. And one story they highlighted a while ago stood out for me, and it was by Robert from Yonkers, New York, who wrote in November of 2010, several years ago, I was waiting in line at a local bakery, and there were several people ahead of me, including an older man wearing a World War II veteran's Navy cap. I moved over next to him and said I admired his cap and inquired if he had served in the Navy during the war. He said he had in the South Pacific. Then I offered him my hand, shaking his and thanking him for his service. He began to cry 
an audible whimper. And the girl behind the counter looked on quizzically and concernedly, and as did a few customers who had turned around and were now looking at us. I apologized to the man profoundly and asked if he was all right for him if I waited outside. He indicated it was, so out I went. And a few minutes later, he emerged with his pastry bag, and again I offered my deepest apologies for ambushing him, and that it was the furthest thing from my mind to embarrass him in public. He very graciously said it was not a problem, but what had disconcerted him was my thanking him for his service during the war. He said I was the very first person to do so, and he had been back almost 60 years. No one. Not his family, friends, ever thanked him or asked him about his time there. Robert continued that today, on November 11th, Veterans Day, originally Armistice Day, and it was named because it was the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month of 1918, officially commemorating the end of World War I, the war to end all wars, a universally noble dream never remotely realized. Today in our country, a relatively small but growing number of families share an unusual and sobering historical legacy. Three generations of living war veterans, truly a shared generational brotherhood and sisterhood. Fathers from World War II and Korea, sons of Vietnam, and grandsons and granddaughters of Iraq and Afghanistan, all veterans. I believe they deserve our thanks, as well as the families and friends who support them. I was fortunate to attend GA in Charlotte, North Carolina in 2011. One of the most moving experiences of that GA was attending the UU worship service honoring those who are serving, who have served in the military. It was the first service of its kind at GA and it serves as a reminder of how alone people in the military can feel in our congregations. UU Minister Reverend Cynthia Kane, who is a Lieutenant Commander of the Chaplain Corps, United States Navy, welcomed there, everyone there in a way I want to do here today. And so I ask that you please stand when the category with which you identify is called those people currently serving in any branch of the United States military on active duty. Those people currently serving in the reserves, National Guard, or auxiliary. Those who are retired from active duty, reserves, guard, or auxiliary. Anyone who has ever served any length of time in the United States military, active duty dependents, reserve and guard dependents, retiree dependents, anyone who has a family member or friend who is serving or has served in the United States military. When Cynthia Kane does this in congregations, 98% of the people stand. Thank you for your service and for your dedication and support. 
Reverend Chris J. Antel, Army Chaplain, who is current, a UU Army Chaplain who is currently stationed in Kandahar, Afghanistan, wrote a prayer for Veterans Day this year that I would like to share with you this morning that captures the anguish of loss in war. And it's entitled, A Prayer for the Warrior's Return. O oh, gracious God, spirit of life, source of love, what has become of me? I am broken. Deliver me from the dread of memory, hatred, cruelty, and revenge, meaningless loss, and betrayal of trust. Lift me from distressing dreams, regrets, doubts, speculations, the violence that fills my eyes and scars my soul, and questions that have no answer. Grant me courage to feel my pain and grieve my loss, and serenity to accept that the past is done. I will never return to my old self. Still, let gladness, faith, and hope return to me, and let me remember the love for me that endures even when I cannot love myself, and even when I cannot love you. Help me to lay my burdens into your compassionate and forgiving hands, and open my heart to see the goodness and feel joy wherever it is to be found. Guide me from isolation to beloved community, where my anguish can be heard and felt, where trust and wholeness can be restored, where I may carry this new identity, this sacred wound with honor. Strengthen me in the ways of the warrior, the ways of justice, kindness, and humility, so that knowing death, I may more live, fully live with gratitude for each moment and reverence for life. Let us continue to honor and remember them. The acts of courage I have read about from so many people during and after Sandy swept through our area continue to inspire me. One of our employees at the hospital shared that for his 11th birthday party, her son asked his friends to bring bags of groceries for our House of Hope food drive at St. Vincent's Medical Center in Bridgeport, Connecticut, instead of the gifts, because he wanted to help those who have lost so much. For an 11-year-old, that is an act of courage. Joe Andanoffi from Breezy Point, New York, the town that was flooded and decimated by fires, decided to stay behind to try to save his house after his family evacuated. He says he knows that it was a foolish thing to do, but in the end, that foolish decision saved lives. He's a firefighter, but was off duty that night and eventually decided to abandon his house and join his family when there was five feet of water outside his home. He grabbed his phone while in a life vest and left his house, only to hear cries from people he couldn't see. He waded through waist-high water to find three women clinging to the back of an SUV with their parrot and dogs. He managed to bring them to safety and then go back for other people crying for help. And all in all, he spent an hour wading through seawater saving people and pets. There are countless stories like Joe's of people risking themselves to save others. The staff at Bellevue in New York had to evacuate approximately 500 patients. And the staff at NYU Medical Center evacuated 260 patients including 20 babies in the neonatal intensive care unit 
and at least four babies had to be carried to a waiting ambulance down nine flights of stairs while medical staff breathed for the infant by manually squeezing a bag to drive oxygen into his lungs. Working at a hospital, I know there are regular emergency drills and policies in place to prepare for the emergency, which we pray never happens. But when it does, it takes incredible courage to keep calm and do what needs to be done. It is important to acknowledge these heroic acts, but we can also get so caught up in thinking that courage, acts of courage involve monumental efforts, usually focused around a specific event, that I believe that we can overlook the subtle acts of courage that surround us every day. In my groups at the psychiatric hospital where I am a chaplain, I constantly remind the patients of their courage. And I usually get a great deal of pushback when I say this to them. They tell me that if they were courageous, if they had strength, they wouldn't be in a psychiatric hospital. I tell them it takes a great deal of courage to come to the hospital and allow others to help you. Some counter with, well, I didn't come here voluntarily. And I respond that in spite of that, they are sitting in my group participating with total strangers when they could just be in their room with their covers pulled up over their heads, isolating themselves from everyone. It takes incredible courage to participate and share their story with people they've never met before. It takes courage to live the life they have lived up to this point with chronic pain, illness, addiction, and unimaginable losses. It takes courage to connect with others and be in relationship, to trust that we do not have to do it alone. Some patients tell me that they've never thought about it like that before. They've never thought themselves strong. Gives them a new way to look at their life. The reading this morning by Reverend May Barnhouse challenges us to think about when we last took a leap, made a plunge. She reminds us that being a Unitarian Universalist takes courage. For some of us not raised UU, it was an intentional act to join this faith. The declaration that justice, equity, the respect for the inherent worth and dignity of all people meant something to you. Truly embodying our UU values is a courageous act. Our denomination is, full, is filled with ordinary people, women, men, youth, children, who have stood up to the courage of their convictions to promote what is right, no matter the cost. This congregation is made up of people who stand by their faith, who live it and breathe it, who put it into action. I believe that is where this subtle courage comes in because there are times when it can take an act of courage to get out of bed and face the day because you were defeated by the day before. But you get up anyway, knowing you're not doing it alone. You are held in beloved community. For me, perhaps, the ultimate act of courage can be felt in Mary Oliver's in Blackwater Woods. Look, the trees are turning their own bodies into pillars of light, are giving off the rich fragrance of cinnamon and fulfillment. The long tapers of cattails are bursting and floating away over the blue shoulders of the ponds. And every pond, no matter what its name is, is nameless now. Every year, everything I have ever learned in my lifetime leads back to this, 
the fires and the black river of loss, whose other side is salvation, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones knowing your own life depends on it. And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. Mother Nature reminded us of how fragile life is. How much we hold on to not only material things that can vanish in an instant, but also people and ideas that keep us stuck in fear and loss. Letting go of the past, letting go of things that no longer help you is scary. But it allows you to take that leap, to plunge yourself into the waters of possibility, trusting that the universe will guide you to where you belong. So may it be.